Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. I am so excited to announce the launch of the Just Ingredients Supplement line to help support your health in the new year. This Thursday, January 11th, we are launching an amazing new line of vitamin C, organ complex, adrenal support, and multivitamin capsules. Each of these supplements have been specially formulated with only real food ingredients, no synthetics, to give your body the nutrient it needs to stay healthy all year long. To celebrate this launch, we are offering 20% off all subscription orders for the lifetime of the subscription. This is a chance to lock in 20% off your favorite products, January 11th and 12th only. Visit JustIngredients.us to kickstart your year with our new supplements and subscribe to a healthy new year. Dr. Anna Maria Temple is a best-selling author, award-winning speaker, and a mom of three. She is a frequent guest on TV shows and podcasts. In her 25-year career, she has treated over 40,000 patients. Through her practice and online eczema transformation program, she has helped thousands of families achieve wellness and less medications. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, I am really excited for our guest because she has been on here before and you guys have loved listening to her. And the other day when I asked, who would you like to hear from again? So many of you said Dr. Anna Maria Temple. And so she is on here again as one of our favorite guests. So thank you, Dr. Anna Maria, for taking the time to be here again today. I'm back. (laughs) I'm super excited to be here and have another chat. I could talk to you about so many different topics, honestly, but before we delve into our topic, do you want to maybe just give the listeners a little bit of a background of who you are in case they haven't heard the other podcasts? Sure. So I'm a traditionally trained pediatrician who managed to have three sick children with chronic disease, and they had asthma, eczema, allergies, recurrent ear infection, recurrent croup, constipation. They were on all kinds of medications. And, uh, you know, I was a doctor at that time. And then when um, one day when uh, I got tired of all the medications and the same old, same old, I took them into the doctor's office and I lined up my three little ducklings. And I was like, why are my kids so sick? Why are there so many medications? And um, for my little one, who had seasonal allergies that were so horrible that he couldn't go out for an Easter egg hunt because his eyes would swell shut, he had tears streaming down his face and his body would be covered in hives and he would be writhing on the ground in pain, scratching his skin off. They said, there's no more medications. He was on five meds at that time. And they said, the only next option is allergy shots. He was two years old. Oh. I, I know. And then my daughter, She was on inhaled steroids with her asthma and she had eczema and recurrent ear infections. And they're like, well, for her asthma, she can continue her inhaled steroids. For her eczema, the topical steroids. For seasonal allergies, she can continue taking Zyrtec because that will keep her eczema and asthma under control. For her recurrent and chronic constipation, she will do Miralax. And her recurrent ear infections, she will eventually outgrow them. And on and on it went that by the time we got to my third child, the middle one, with the snot, like the kind of boogers that you can never walk out of your house these days. By the time we got to him and his issues and ADHD and all that, I'd stopped listening because I was getting the same story. And I walked out of my doctor's office, just, I felt unheard. I felt dismissed and at a loss. And you know, my doctor self didn't know what to do because all I knew was medications and I'm not making light of it, but that's what I learned in medical school. 
And my mama warrior self like took over and was like, wait, what? Our children are not going to be on chronic meds for the rest of their lives. This is not their story. I don't know how we're going to get to the other side, but we're going to rewrite the story. And one day these kids are going to be the example that other people are going to use to get their children better. And, you know, as it is with mama warriors, when you change your mindset, the next week there was like a, a nutrition talk at my kid's school. And I walked in and, you know, with my pediatrician self, and I was like, I know what she's going to say, but I'm just here to support the school. And it was at 7.30 on a Tuesday morning while I was freezing my butt off in a first grade classroom that the fog lifted and I saw clearly the root cause of my children's illnesses. All that the lady talked about was sugar. And I was mind blown. I mean, I was giving my kids strawberries at lunch and broccoli at dinner. And then this lady presents all the hidden ingredients in foods. And I was like, whoa. And so that night at 7.30 after work, I came into the pantry in my stilettos and to the horror of my husband <laughs> and the children, I threw away the mac and cheese, cinnamon toast crunch, Lucky Charms, Pop-Tarts, toaster strudels, you name a garbage, we were eating it. And unfortunately, that's when I became an outcast in my family. My husband and I started fighting over food over the next five years. <laughs> and my friends thought I lost my mind. My partners didn't know what was going on. My family was like, for real, like, let's scratch her off the well right now because she's gone. And, you know, again, as a mama warrior takes over, you guys know, nothing stands in your way. And I was persistent and I had perseverance and I didn't care what anybody said. And over time, my children stopped needing antibiotics, topical steroids, inhaled steroids, medications. And by 2016, we moved to New Zealand with no medical doctors, no medications, no prescriptions, no health insurance. And my children thrived and they climbed the highest mountains and bungee jumped off the tallest bridges. And I realized this is what it looks like to come back from chronic disease. So when we came back to the US a year and a half later, started my own practice and we started doing things a whole lot differently because as I, my children change, my medical advice changed, my mamas asked me different questions. I looked into the research deeper with a more open mind. And now I just started practicing medicine differently. Oh, I love that story. I've heard it a couple of times and I just love it every time you tell it because you've been there. You've been in the trenches where so many moms are just trying to figure out what's wrong with their kids and why they don't feel good. And I love that over the years you figured it out and now you're trying to teach others. That's awesome. So thank you so much for what you do too. I, yeah, you're a voice of so much goodness that I just love it. Sure. Well, you know, I tell my children, I'm like, you guys are my greatest medical accomplishment. And you know, because they were so sick, no, I don't want them to be sick. I wish I didn't make the, the choices that I made at that time, but I did the best I could with the information I had at that time. And so that's why one of the things that I hope everyone takes away from our time here together is like, it's okay where you are. There's no guilt. There's no shame. It's just, this is where you are on your journey. And there's no finish line, by the way, it's just we're just on a journey and we're enjoying the ride and the ride is bumpy and it's hard and it's difficult, but it's filled with joy. And I'm always like, you know, if we could just do better today than we did yesterday, yep. we'll make great changes over time. Yep. That's what I say too. one little change at a time. And they all just snowball into a big snowball. You know what I mean? And then you've eventually have all these healthy lifestyle ways that you're living. And so yep. 
let's actually delve into our topic because with it being the winter months, I get so many DMs of what do you do with your kids when they're sick? What should I do? I mean, people are just used to let's give them some NyQuil and there's nothing else we can do. Or they're running to the doctor's office like for every little cough or sniffle or fever. And so let's just talk about some of these. But first of all, why does it seem like kids are always getting sick during the winter months? Hey, a couple of things, actually. Well, number one, kids are different than adults. Children are not small adults. Children are, are different bodies and different anatomy. And they have not been exposed to the viruses, bacteria, fungi, parasites, etc., that the adults have. So their immune system is naive, which means it doesn't know what's going on. In order to develop an antibody from RSV, you have to come in contact with RSV. You, what we learned from the pandemic, when we live in a bubble, that doesn't work because you're not training your immune system for anything. You're in fact depleting it from a variety. So as stressful as it is to watch your children have a cough and snot, it is super important for them to be exposed to viruses, bacteria, and all the things, because that's how they train the immune system. It's like going to the gym and it hurts to go to the gym and you're sore the next day because you're training your body for stronger, resilient body. The same thing with the immune system. So we're going to get a lot of colds and a lot of people get confused. They're like, if they have snot and congestion, that means sinusitis. That means ear infection, it means something bad. I'm like, it's often just a few days of snot and congestion that the body is supposed to take care of. And when kids are in daycare, preschool, or they're just going to school for the first time, they're often sick 12 to 14 times in the winter months. And then each cold, depending on what we're doing, which we're going to talk about how to keep things a little shorter, but depending on what you're doing, can last 10 to 14 days. So 10 to 14 days, 14 times a year may, means that they're full of snot and congestion, like literally all, all winter long. All winter long. All winter long, right? So having a cold does not mean your immune system is not working. Well, what I consider resilient is like I have a cold and I get over it without antibiotics or steroids. I see a virus or the flu. I don't end up in an asthma attack and I need steroids. I get COVID. I don't get an ear infection. I have RSV. I'm not in the hospital. That So getting a cold and sickness does not mean your immune system is not working. It is working. It's just, are we supporting it so we don't have the other sequelae like steroids, hospitalizations, antibiotics, et cetera. And I want to say one more thing about the winter that uh, an amazing doc who went to Harvard and then she was like, well, that's not enough. I should totally do engineering and that's not enough. And then she did like this environmental thing. So she found that one of the things that the key thing in the winter is humidity level. When we are under low humidity, so less than 40%, we're more likely to catch flu, COVID, RSV, and all the other stuff. And she did these tests in hospitals, in the ER, in operating rooms, and then took it further and went into preschools. And half the preschools got a humidifier and kept the humidity level between 40 and 60%. And the other half of the preschool classes did not. In the classroom with a humidity level between 40 and 60%, they had 50 percent reduction in school absences wow. because the children were less sick because with more humidity now it can't be too much because then we get mold so that's why a humidity monitor is super important but with humidity the viruses are less likely to stick inside our nose and, and inside our mouth because they need a drier environment because that the drier environment inside our body makes it sticky like flypaper and all the stuff that we're exposed to sticks and enters our body 
That is fascinating. I wonder why more people don't know that because I think a lot of preschools don't have humidifiers in it. And I'm wondering how many moms have humidifiers in their homes. Yeah, the whole time I'm like, this would be such a cost saving, you know, and a lot of times at the preschools, I'm like, you know, I know my room moms, they're like, they're no nonsense ladies. And I'm sure there's some gentlemen, but there's no nonsense people who are room moms, right? And they could raise money and get a humidifier, which is like $25 and get a humidity monitor, which is like $12. And if that could decrease even 20%, Right, any reduction without any medications, without doctor visits, no ER, no urgent care. Oh my gosh, the amount of money that we're saving. That would be amazing. Okay, so question about humidifiers. So let's say like right now, my neighborhood, everybody is sick. All the kids are sick and my kids are yet to be sick. So fingers crossed. But if I put humidifiers like in their bedrooms at night, would that help? That would totally help. And it helps. I My favorite, especially if you're having a gathering, to have the humidifier like in the gathering area. So now your neighbors are coming over with the snot and the congestion, and we want to prevent that from even getting into your kid's body. So having the humidifier in the common area when you have a social gathering, at nighttime, it's great because it keeps everything nice and flowing because when does the immune system work? at night and now we have a little extra humidity. So now we can prevent anything from invading as the immune system is working to protect your body. Okay. So let me ask you about that. Why do you say the immune system's working at night? Isn't it working 24 seven? Well, it sure is. But at nighttime, right? Because so during the day, if we look at our day, our day, we're walking, we're running, we're playing, we're eating, we're learning, we're studying, we're doing all the things. And the body is like, I have so many functions to deal with. And so at night, when we go to to night night, which a lot of people are like, it's a waste of time. When we go to sleep, we're no longer eating. We're no longer running. We're no longer playing. So the body is using the energy instead of the muscles and digestion. It's using the body. It's using the detoxification pathways and it's enhancing the immune system, which can now work extra in order to defend, which is what happens when we're sick. What happens during the day when we're sick? We have a fever, which we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but we're also laying down and we're, you know, we want to snuggle on the couch and we want to chill and have unlimited screen time. And that is the body's putting us at rest. And what happens when you're sick? You don't want to eat. You just want, you want fluids and rest. And the reason that that's like a remedy that's worked for thousands of years because it mimics nighttime when we're resting and the body can use all its energy for the immune system to create antibodies and to detoxify because there's two things to it, the immune system. You have to detoxify and make antibodies. You change just do one or the other. Oh, I'm so glad I asked that and you explained it so well. So thank you so much. But you just touched upon fevers and I know that some of the common things when kids get sick are usually the coughs, the sore throats, the fevers. And so let's talk about a fever. What are the common causes of fevers? Why do we get these? Yeah. And you know, I'm so glad we're talking about it because if there's one thing you can do to reduce your child's duration of illness is listen to this part of the podcast. All right. We're all listening. So fevers, I'm going to use an analogy. So fevers, it's like the virus comes to invade your body and 80% of childhood illnesses are viral. So we'll just use viruses. So the virus comes in and the virus cannot live 
on its own. It could live on a surface for maybe an hour, a couple hours, depending on which virus it is, but whatever. But it needs the human body to replicate. And that means it uses our human body to make photocopies of itself. So when the virus invades, the, it turns on the photocopy machine of our body and it's making copies of itself. Now the human body is like, whoa, 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 hey, no, uh, we don't like that. And so it raises, the body raises the temperature and you're now, let's say at 102. At the reason the body raises the temperature is number one, it shuts off the photocopy machine so the virus cannot copy itself anymore. And number two, it helps make more antibodies. The antibodies are produced more faster, more efficiently, and get to the source of the issue better when you have a fever. But because of fever phobia, we're all reaching for medications. But if we let the body have fever, now we have more antibodies, we have more effective antibodies, they're working faster, and the photocopy machine has stopped. So if the virus has entered with its 50 friends, let's say, it's used our body to make a thousand copies, but now the body has stopped it at fever, and you let the immune system take over the thousand viral particles, you're, you're going to be done with your illness in a few days. But now if you take Motrin or acetaminophen or paracetamol or whichever ibuprofen thing that you have, what happens is that the body, now we're lowering the temperature. Now the immune system slows down. The antibody production slows down. They're not as effective. And now we've turned on the photocopy machine. So every time you give a fever reducer, the virus is reproducing itself more and more and more. And when we do Tylenol and ibuprofen around the clock, we've suppressed the immune system. The virus is having an awesome time. Now you have a billion viral particles and the poor immune system is like, I'm trying to work, but you keep giving me medicine. And so then you're sicker for 10, 14, 21 days because we haven't stopped. We haven't let the body do its thing at the beginning of the illness. I've heard you explain this before. And the first time you explained it to me a few years ago, my mind was blown. I was like, I'm a mom of six kids and my pediatrician would tell me, oh yeah, just give them Motrin, give them, you know, Tylenol, whatever, get that fever down. So every mom out there thinks, oh yeah, we got to bring that fever down. Why does every mom think that? I know. And it's totally driven by us physicians. Absolutely. It's a fever phobia. It's like, oh my gosh, because uh, kids have febrile seizures. Uh, you can look at all the medical studies and it shows that you can do Tylenol and Motrin around the clock, you cannot stop a febrile seizure. A febrile seizure has nothing to do with the number. It's the rate of rise. So if your child is sitting there playing, they'll have a seizure and then you go check and they're burning hot lava. You don't even know they're having a fever. They're, they're, yeah, that fever was coming. And most of the time, the febrile seizure begins at the beginning of the illness. Again, we're talking for the majority of the people. There's always going to be exceptions. Motrin and Tylenol around the clock do not prevent febrile seizures. Uh, the second thing is people are like, oh, if you have 100 and three fever, you're going to get brain damage. No brain damage at 103. Take a moment and let's think about our human body. Why would our body in a neurologically normal child with a normal brain, why would the body create a fever that damages itself? That doesn't even make sense. Because I have seen pediatricians are like, oh no, you get end organ damage, like your kidneys will shut down. I'm like, if you have sepsis, if you have a massive infection, but that takes a little bit, it's not with the first fever you have sepsis, it's usually like over time. And sepsis is really, really rare, but 80% of illnesses are viral. And so there's this fever phobia because the human body won't let the temperature get to a point where it's going to damage itself in neurologically normal children. And the moms are worried. They're like, oh my God, but it's 103. So if I don't give them anything, it's going to be 104. Not necessarily. 
you sit and you wait and you can you let the body do its thing and you know for uh in my clinic we sit and we text with our families and we talk to them we're like stay hang strong hang strong and the other thing is let's look at the child and not the number because i'll have kids at 101 and they're disasters they're not drinking they're not moving they look horrible okay that child is going to get a different treatment than a child who has 103 or even 104 and they're playing quietly if they're playing quietly, they're good. And of course, people are like, yeah, but if I had 104, I'd feel horrible. I'm like, it's not you. <laughs> you are not the four-year-old. And so I always go, let's look at the youngster. If the youngster is not moving, they're not drinking, we need to treat that. And that's when I use treatment. I'll use a medication because I need them to not get dehydrated. Another time that I would use uh, and fever reducers would be at nighttime if they can't rest. I don't mean like they have 101, they're going to bed. I don't give for that. This is pro tip. So if your child is like warm, you think they're going to have fever in the middle of the night, measure out your medications before you go to bed, have it on your nightstand. If the child wakes up at two o'clock in the morning with 104 fever and they're irritable, now you have your dose already out, ready to go. If you try to measure it at night with one eye open, now you're <laughs> freaking out because they're 104, you're more likely to make medication errors. So it's better to just, because in the morning, if you didn't need it, you just put it back in the bottle. The end. Oh, I love that. Okay, so I know moms are listening that are like, wait, though, is there a certain temperature that I do need to go to the hospital or call the doctor? Like, some will tell me, no, but at 105, that is a must. Like, you have to go. At 105, I would give a fever reducer because at 105, you go to the ER, mark my words, they're going to give you Tylenol or Motrin for the price, low price of $5,000. <laughs> and they're not going to do a whole lot unless now, if your child looks like poop, but what they're going to do first, before anything, they're going to give a Motrin. They're going to wait 30 minutes. The child looks good. They're going to discharge you with a fabulous bill. So before you go to the ER for 105, give a Motrin, wait 30 minutes, and then you go, oh, they're good. Then you can call your pediatrician a little more calmly, be seen the next morning. But there's no reason to rush to the ER for a number. We rush to the ER because our child looks like they're not moving and they have a weird rash and they're breathing weird and they're blue. Like that's ER. Okay. Good to know. So for the moms listening or dads, I should say, if they've got a child with a fever at home, obviously it's important to keep giving them liquids so they don't dehydrate, like you said, but are there other things that would help the child out that are effective or any tips you can give? Sure. So I um, use, I'll do like a cool, okay. Cooler bath is not cold. It's just not scolding hot bath. We could do a bath with magnesium, Epsom salts, which have magnesium that relaxes the body, decreases the aches and pains. You can do popsicles that of course we're going to read the ingredients to, and we're not going to use Pedialyte or Kinderlite or any of those, but because we're going to look at our ingredients first and we can do cool fluids. You can do cold washcloths. If it's cold outside, you could actually take them outside because it's cold and it's you're going to put a coat on them, but you're going to cool them off. Lots of loves, hugs, and kisses. For my kids, I don't really do much. I mean, you can get, uh, there's a homeopathy that you can use for different options. For my kids, I honestly just like let them have the fever and I give them lots of loves and hugs and some bone broth and cool fluids and I, a screen time and, and rest. Uh, there's also essential oils. There's a, I have an essential oil protocol they can do on the spinal cord for those that are old enough to do that. And again, if you're like, I don't have any of these things and all this sounds really expensive, we're just going to do loves, hugs, kisses, cool fluids, cold washcloth and time. And just the body's not going to get better in an hour. 
The body needs time. Mamas, our time is they need to be better yesterday. We're just going to be honest about it. And we have zero tolerance for them being sick. Zero. And even though you go, I know, I know. But after an hour, you're like, is it done now? Is it, how about now? How about right now? And so we have to have the patients that they may have a fever for a couple of days before it's all out. And when they have a fever, they're not going to play a lot. And that is important because the body has to fight the viruses. They're going to lay around and they appear lethargic. Lethargic to me, the doctor, is they're not drinking. They're not moving. They won't respond to you. Lethargic to a mom is they're not actually playing and they want to lay around on the couch. A laying around on the couch is perfectly legal and there's nothing concerning about that. Okay. So good to know. Let's move on then to another one, sore throats. And that one lately has been going around. I feel like all my kids' friends, the parents are saying, ah, it's a nasty sore throat that's going around, just burn. So what are the common causes of this and what tips do you have for sore throats? So sore throats, again, 80% are viral. 90% of parents think it's strep, but 80% are viral. And what it is, a virus comes in and uses our nose and our mouth to enter. And this is where the inflammation begins. So the virus is entering through our throat. The body is like, I don't like this. And it's like a boo-boo. And the initial first 24 to 48 hours, the throat can hurt really bad. And it makes you think of strep. Strep is going to be fever, sore throat, a gargled speech, headache, belly pain, maybe vomiting. If you give the sore throat a day or two and the snot and congestion start, it's viral and it's from a cold and congestion. Can you have strep with a cold? You could. A lot of times you're a strep carrier and you've just had a cold. Now you're sore, your throat is sore. You went to the doctor, they're swabbing you. They're like, it's positive. The culture is positive. I'm like, yeah, but did you really have strep throat or did you, are you a carrier? Now you got antibiotics and you should not have gone antibiotics anyway. The problem is everybody's like, it's all strep throat. I'm like, it's not all strep throat. When the sore throat comes in, I do love honey, local, unfiltered raw from your backyard. If you don't have that, then you can use beekeepers natural. Love them. The spray is good and delicious. I don't even like that. I don't like the taste of the kids one. I use adult for like all the kids over the age of one. And all my kids have that like actually in their backpacks when they they go to school. Honey has immune properties and helps it a sore throat. Salt water gargle, lemon water gargle, hot sauce water gargle. Just be careful on the super little ones because you don't want to swallow it. You can use uh, leafy, has turmeric and ginger in it, which is a powerful anti-inflammatory. Those are my go-tos. And worst case, oh, cold popsicles, cold stuff is fantastic. And worst case scenario, they can't sleep because of sore throat, use ibuprofen. Okay, so such good tips. But is there a way for parents to know if it's viral versus bacterial or there's no way unless you go to the doctor? Well, you know, I've looked at so many sore, thro- sore throats, so it's I'm a little jaded because I'll, I'll send my families a photo. I'm like, strep throat looks like this. And they're like, that is exactly what the throat looks like. And they'll send me a picture of the kid's throat. And I'm like, that looks nothing like the photo I oh, sent funny. you. But what it is with strep throat, when you look in the back of the throat, the tonsils are huge. They're red hot lava. And there's red hot lava dots on the palate, which is the roof of the mouth. If you look in the back and you can see clearly down the back of the throat, the tonsils are red, but but to the side and there's like snot going down it. Strep throat, the tonsils are massive. Sometimes they have pus on them and they're like beefy red, almost touching the dangly thing in the middle of your throat called the uvula. And so if they're touching the dangly thing and they're red hot lava, I'd get a throat check. Okay. So good to know. 
Another one, and it's going around right now, are coughs. It seems like every kid gets a cough and then, you know, people get worried about it. The parents get worried. And so are there certain things that lead to coughing or again, it's just a virus or a bacteria? What are the causes? So 80% of the coughs, as you guys love to hear, it's viral. Yay. And so the let's talk about how the cough comes in. So again, viruses are coming in. You get maybe a sore throat, then the cough comes. Cough is usually dry in the first two to three days. And it's an annoying, dry, like, <laughs> and then they can get a little spasms. The cough can get worse by day three, which is when people panic. It's like, I feel like parents have like tolerance about 48 hours after 48 hours. They're like, that's so the cough is gets worse about day three, at which point, majority of the time, it turns into a juicy cough, like that kind of cough that you feel like if they could just cough it out, they would feel better. And then you have about three, four days of juicy cough, and then it goes away. If the cough is dry, dry, and it's getting drier, now it's like it's continuous and they're not stopping after day three obviously respiratory distress, which means they're sucking in at the top, like at the base of their neck above their clavicles. If they're sucking their belly and you're seeing their ribs, that's a respiratory stuff that needs to be seen right away. Other than that, the cough should turn into a juicy cough and go away. The cough is the body's way of getting rid of the virus. That's what happens. It causes a spasming and then you cut mucus and not all juicy cough is pneumonia. Pneumonias are like you have a cough, the dry cough turns juicy, maybe feeling a little bit better, and then boom, fevers 102, 103, the cough gets a lot worse. That's when I'm like, mm, this could be pneumonia. Because if you, not all fever, because again, when you get a viral illness, you get fever, the sore throat, then the cough for three days, the fever goes away, the cough is left over. That's not going to be pneumonia, generally speaking. That is a viral trend. So if you have a cough, that's going on for a while and then fever appears with the cough getting worse, I'd have that checked out and make sure that that's not turned into a pneumonia in addition to obviously the respiratory distress that we talked about. Coughs, I mean, everyone should just have Epsom salt baths in their house. Cause I mean, you'll hear me say this about like literally everything. They're the best though. I love them. Right? And make sure when you get them that they're not scented. Because the problem is there's a lot of good stuff out there, but you'll see like, oh, it has lavender essential oil on the front. And you go, lavender essential oil. And then you turn it around the back and you guys have learned from just the ingredients. Miss Carolyn has already told you, read the ingredients because you see fragrance. Yeah. No bueno. We're yeah. not going to have that. We, we just want Epsom salt baths that are fragrance free. The magnesium in Epsom salts helps relax the smooth muscles and helps decrease the cough. The salt in the Epsom salts is anti-inflammatory to the lungs. So that is an inexpensive way that you can do at home. You can do the Epsom salt baths a couple of times a day if you want to. If for my advanced people, my favorite thing is uh, salt rooms. I'm obsessed with salt rooms. I'm just like obsessed because you go in there and the salt rooms around us have like salt on the ground and the kids can play. You hang out for 45 minutes. You literally give the kids nothing. It's not a supplement. It's not water. It's not a bath. And the kids just play and breathe in the air. And the salt has anti-inflammatory properties, also expectorant. So it helps loosen the the junk and get the kids to cough it out. And then I just wanted to bring this up because this came up in clinic yesterday. When you hear that junk, the uh, when you cough it up, you don't inhale it back in the trachea, which is a breathing tube. You swallow it in the esophagus, which is your eating tube, and then you poop it out. So you don't worry about the kids having to spit it out. My husband, I got here a sidebar. My husband 
who's an orthopedic surgeon. He's like, well, we're 50, right? And he, in the past, he would be in the sink, like, <laughs> like carrying on for no less than 30 minutes. I'm like, okay, you don't have tuberculosis. So could we knock off the drama? And he was like, well, I don't want it to go back down. And I'm like, oh my God, you go to med school? Like it doesn't <laughs> go hilarious. back down. Right? Yeah. You swallow it. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, that's so funny. Okay. Actually though, that leads me to an interesting thing. So talking about getting it out. My son came home from junior high actually this week and was like, mom, I learned that coughing is getting your virus out. It's a good thing. And that you can only get your virus out. This is what his teacher said. So let's see if this is really true. You can only get your virus out by coughing, sneezing, peeing, sweating, and sleeping. Okay. I mean, I could see where we're going with that. Okay. Because right, when you're sleeping, the immune system creates more antibodies, which gets rid of the virus. If you're peeing, you're well hydrated. A well hydrated body is going to be better functioning than a dehydrated body. Coughing, you're creating, I mean, there's not really viral particles in the mucus. That's just inflammation. So when the virus comes in, it causes water to secrete. Just like when it comes in your nose, your nose runs. It is trying to get some viral particles out. So, I mean, I'm going to go with a yes. I can see how we're going with that, but you don't have to cough to get the virus out. But coughing is a way for the body to get rid of the mucus that has come from the virus. The boogers coming out of your nose is trying to initially get all the virus particles out as much as possible. So, okay, we're going to go with yes and sleeping, of course. You know, a junior high science teacher trying to teach the basics. So we'll say he was but doing I love a good it, right? job. I mean, we're sleeping, staying hydrated and don't worry about your cough. Don't freak out. You're just getting the virus out. I love that. All right. Well, we'll tell my son it was a, a yes to all of those. Okay. Another thing that we hear about all winter long are ear infections. And I feel like some people go to the doctor once, twice a month just for ear infections, like over and over. So what really is an ear infection and why are kids getting them over and over? Yeah, good one. So I'm going to, before we got the infection, I do want to talk about that. You can also do oral magnesium. If you do oral magnesium, you can do magnesium glycinate or citrate to help the cough that we just talked about. Honey that we just talked about in sore throat, also really good. Beekeeper spray, also amazing. Having this in your arsenal is good for all the things. Well, let me ask you, so I should have moved on to ear infections. Sorry, we got sidetracked with the junior high teacher. Let me ask you though, then about coughs, because everyone DMs me this, so I forgot to ask you this. What are your thoughts on over-the-counter cough syrups for coughs? Such a good question because they got recalled. So if there was a massive recall because they found that phenylephrine was actually useless. And so you were spending all this money and it was gone. There was a, a study done actually in my residency program. I recruited people for the study and they compared Delsim Robitussin versus honey. And honey was superior in decreasing nighttime cough to Delsim and Robitussin. Wow. Boom. Right there. Amazing. I'm not beating up on this brand, but they're like Zarbies has honey in it. And I'm like, right, you can spend $12 on that, or you can just get honey. Because what, when you look at Zarbies, they're like, it has zinc, which is a minuscule, not even interesting, but the honey is what is actually reducing the cough. I'm like, okay, well then just get your local honey that you can then also bake with, that you can put in your smoothies, that you can use for other things is going to save you a lot of money. And that is what is the effective ingredient in decreasing the cough. So I don't use the traditional over-the-counter medication. They don't work. Okay. So good to know. And honey is so easy. Like I'll just mix a little bit in a little tiny bit of water and put a little lemon in there with it. And the kids love it. And so- Love. A little honey, vitamin C, boom, done. Yeah. 
Now should we move on to ear infections? Okay, sorry about that. My question was like so many are getting ear infections. So what are ear infections exactly? And why are they getting them over and over? Um, so ear infections are going to be pus in the middle ear. When we look at our ear, a lot of people know about swimmer's ear. That's infection in the outer ear canal from getting pool water, lake water, whatever, in the outside part. From the outside to the inside, there is a little membrane that looks like a window. So when we look with our fancy equipment called the otoscope in the ear canal, you will see the window. And behind that window, there should be nothing. When you, it's an ear infection, we see pus and red hot lava tissue, so a lot of inflammation. The reason ear infections happen is because snot starts happening, can happen because you have a virus, because you're teething, for many reasons, right? So uh, pollen, allergies, the dog, the cat. So you have a lot of snot. The snot backs up in our eustachian tubes. And by the way, I'm making all these hand gestures on a podcast, no one can see me. But um, so (laughs) in the nose, from the nose to our ears, there's eustachian tubes. There's a connection between the ears and the nose. Because the congestion in the nose, the tube, the eustachian tubes get clogged up. Because they're clogged up, the ears cannot drain properly. Every single day, because 80% of our body is made out of water, we make a little bit of fluid so we can hear and we can cleanse our body. When it gets blocked up, that fluid that we naturally make, just like tears, gets locked up behind that tympanic membrane, behind that window, and now it's a dark, moist place. And now bacteria jumps in and can cause a problem. And fun fact, the more antibiotics you get, the more ear infections you have. Because 80% of ear infections get better on their own. And we're going to talk about how to get some remedies to prevent antibiotics. But when we looked in medical studies of children with an ear infection that got antibiotics versus kids that did not, the kids that got antibiotics had more antibiotics in their lifetime, had more ear, nose, and throat specialist visits and more surgeries compared to children that did the watchful waiting and did not do antibiotics. So we want to try to avoid antibiotics as much as we can. Now, if the child has 104 fever, they're miserable, they're vomiting because their ears are so inflamed, they're gonna get treatment. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking like you have 101, a little ear pain on one side, you have snot, Do and it looks like red hot lava, do you need antibiotics? I don't, I usually do for 48 hours. We do a couple of different remedies to see if we can get that situation drained out so we don't actually need to take antibiotics. Okay. I have a friend who is always worried about her daughter getting ear infections. And I say, just watch and wait. And she's like, yeah, but I don't know if it's going to be like a really bad one or it will be okay. So I just take them in immediately and get them on the antibiotics. And so what are the like signs, symptoms? Like what does a mom look for to know whether to take them in or not take them in? Should they always just watch and wait? So I usually, you know, when I get texts or like, so I, you know, I can tell like, okay, so they're congested last night, they didn't sleep and they're pointing to their right ear. Okay. Well, clearly there's something in the right ear. I'm like, before you come in, let's do a couple of things because I know I'm going to see stuff in there, but I'm not, I don't want to waste your time and your drive to see me when I know that there's stuff in there. Let's declog the ear. What's the worst thing that happens if a child has an ear infection that let's say needed antibiotics, the tympanic membrane can burst open and the pus comes out, but then it heals. And we're good. And you know, the people are like, oh, but you have hearing loss. I'm like, that's not true. I mean, a hearing hearing loss can happen, but that is so incredibly uncommon. You don't get meningitis, you don't get mastoiditis. There's not like a horrible infection that's gonna happen. The child is just gonna be uncomfortable. And as I said, the worst thing that happens, the the window bursts open, pus comes out, and then the pressure is relieved, which actually helps the pain. 
But what do we do? Like if we know, you know, the child is old enough to tell us that my left ear hurts and I'm full of snot and you're like classic. So a couple things, you know, I'm going to say Epsom salt baths, <laughs> salt room, honey, and we're going to suction that nose and we're going to do Exlear, which has uh, xylitol in it and grapefruit seed extract. So those are antibacterial. If you have breast milk, nothing better than breast milk to the nose because that's amazing immunoglobulins. You can do half, sal half salt water, half breast milk, boom, do some nose water flushes. If your kids can do a neti pot, amazing. If not, you can use the giant saline bottles, what I have in my house, like shoot it up your nose, turn your head, and it comes out of the other side, boom, neti pot. Craniosacral therapy, so amazing because it is manipulation of the eustachian, the earlobes and the neck, and it helps drain the ear. I cannot tell you how many kids we've been able to keep off antibiotics with craniosacral therapy, also known as CST. Chiropractor maneuvers are also amazing. Seeing your chiropractor can also help decompress that area anatomically to help it drain. And then one thing that I don't talk about publicly because uh, I just um, guess I'm I'm being a wimp about it, but I'll tell you this, this super secret thing I use in clinic when we're getting in a pickle is actually Sinex, which is Afrin. Uh, and I use Sinex compared to Afrin because Sinex doesn't have as much alcohol as Afrin. And Sinex, you do it and within 30 seconds, it opens up the nose and the eustachian tubes and it drains everything out. And you use it about like one to two puffs per nair, two times a day, no more than three days. Most people don't use it because if you prolong you, it's like seven to 10 days, you can get rebound effect. In other ways, you can become dependent on it. Mm -hmm. If you use it for three days, I've never had anyone become dependent on it when used for three days. And it is amazing. And I use it in kids like 18 months and older. It is amazing at keeping kids off antibiotics. So it's three days of Sinex versus 10 days of antibiotics. It's like, it's a game changer. That's fascinating. That's a new little tip I didn't know. So thank you. Also, I am just going to say, so much yes to the salt room because every time my kids have like runny noses or feel a cold coming on or that scratchy throat, we go to the salt cave because one time I had a stuffy nose, sore throat, and I went in there. An hour later, I legit came out with it gone. And I was like, all right, I'm a believer. But I love what you said. I love because you went right when it started. So a lot of people are like, hey, I don't want to go because it's time consuming, you know, and they wait till like the symptoms have gone on for five days. The longer the symptoms go on, the longer it takes to undo it. So if you just like, oh my God, the kids come home from school and they're feeling a little under the weather, a little stuffy, whatever, take them to the salt room immediately. Oh my gosh. It, like you will turn it around so much faster. I love that you said that. Well, and that's true for some nutrients though too, I think, because like elderberry is more effective if it's right at the beginning of the illness than later on, correct? Yes. Correct. Correct. And that, you know, that gets us into elderberry, vitamin D, zinc. Those are really fabulous to have. Also make sure you know where your product comes from. We're not going to purchase our supplement from Amazon. Everyone repeat after me, highlight, underline, because you don't know where they're coming from. Love Amazon for shoes shopping and all kinds of things. Love them, but not for supplements. So zinc and vitamin D, it's super important for you to know where they're coming from. Remember that Amazon does not have storage facilities that are temperature regulated. So they could be cooking at 186 degrees, which I don't think that that's what you do with your vitamin D at your house. But so those are a couple of things. And the moment your kid gets snot, stop the dairy. Dairy's oh. got to go. And we're talking milk, butter, cheese, ice cream, yogurt, 
things that have dairy in it. And my nursing mamas, please stop eating dairy immediately if your child is getting full of snot. Dairy is a snot thickener. Now, is this 100% for 100% of the people? No, nothing is, but it works in majority of the people. And I'm like, again, you're not buying a supplement. You don't have to give the kids anything. It is removing something that we know it's thickening the mucus and increase the risk of first ear infection. And especially if you have recurrent coughs and recurrent ear infections, processed foods, which that's why you follow Carolyn, because you're not going to eat processed foods and you're not, you're going to limit your sugar to less than 24 grams a day. And then we're going to remove dairy. Those things are going to help prevent recurrent ear infections. Okay. So good to know. And I have one other question about ear infections. What are your tips though and suggestions if they're just in so much pain? Do you love like warm presses on them? I mean, what do you like? Good one. Oh, that's good. Yes. So you would do warm compresses. The Moulayan garlic oil drops are so fabulous. You can make your own garlic eardrops. I just get the Moulayan garlic eardrops that you can put in there. And then again, worst case scenario, they're not sleeping. You've done all the things. When I want to talk about congestion after this one too, is you can do a dose of ibuprofen before they go to bed. And I love ibuprofen before bed, even though I'm like less meds, but one dose of ibuprofen for let's say two nights versus 10 days of antibiotics, we're still at a win. Mm. And ibuprofen helps decrease pain, also decreases swelling and inflammation that can also help them rest easier. Of course, I use Sinex before all that, the apps, all the things that we did, but you're not getting anywhere and we need some rest. I'm okay. Use some ibuprofen. Okay. Did you say you had something else about congestion? Yes. Okay. The wet method. Oh, I do love that method. Why don't you explain what it is? Um, so when your kid comes home with like snottiness and they're stuffy and congested, they're going to have a warm bath, of course, with Epsom salts. And so after their warm bath, while they're in the warm bath, you're going to take a pair of cotton socks and put them in a bowl with ice water. When they're like nice and toasty in the bath, they come out, you dry them, you put the ring out the socks, you put the wet, cold socks on their feet. I promise you the kids are fine because they're so toasty from the bath. And then you're going to take dry wool socks, as woolly as you can find, do not get out of shape over like how woolly they are. So dry woolly socks, and then you put jammies on, put them to bed, and it will help decrease their congestion and help drain their ears while they're sleeping. And the reason that happens is when you do warm, that helps to vasodilate, which means it opens up the vessels for increased blood flow. That's why we're all flushed after bath time. The cold helps shrink the blood vessels. So the opening and closing causes a pump-like phenomenon that helps drain the lymphatic system and helps decrease the congestion and the ears. And this is from Russian doctors in 1800s that would do this with their patients, but they would put their patients with their feet in cold water. And now a lot of people do the cold plunge, but good luck putting a two-year-old in a cold plunge or me for that matter. So the wet sock method is like a, a better version. And you do that at nighttime, again, do it every night. It's good for all ages. If you're pregnant, it were, it's okay. If you're nursing it, it's great. And do it for a couple of nights until the congestion goes away. Your mind's going to be blown. Mind blown. It's crazy how good it works. It is mind blowing. I actually tried it the first time like 15 years ago when a doctor had suggested it. And I thought it was the kookiest, weirdest thing ever but it worked. So I'm like, I believe in that now too. So, okay. Anyways, I want to talk about maybe some preventative things because if I've got a mom listening or a dad who's like, okay, we've done good so far. No one's been sick this winter. What can I do to keep that throughout the entire winter? Keep them, you know, nice and healthy. What are some preventative measures we can take? 
oh my gosh, I cannot speak enough to processed foods. We've got to reduce the limit. And what I mean by processed foods, I'm talking about foods that are in a box that we read the ingredients and we don't know what the ingredients are. If you have to DM one of us, what is this ingredient? Don't eat it. That's great <laughs> <I'm always> advice. <laughs> great <laughs> advice. You were like, what do you think of this ingredient? I'm like, no, I'm not even looking that up. Because if you can't read it, don't eat it. I mean, you spend so much time creating products with very specific ingredients where you know where they're sourced from, third-party testing. I do the same for my supplements. And it's you, we don't want to put into our body. If you don't know what it says, how does your body know where to put it? And the problem, the escalating rise of chronic disease in our children, which by the way, we're more economically stable, we're more technologically savvy, we're more modern than ever before, and our children are sicker than ever before. One in two children have a chronic disease as of 2022, according to the CDC. And processed foods are the number one because what do we do as busy moms? You heard me. I was on Pop-Tart, toaster strudels on a day. I wanted to give them a warm breakfast. Uh, I mean, I did all the things. And the moment I removed processed foods from my children's eye without all the things that I know now, their health changed. Sugar being the next thing. Under the age of two, zero grams of added sugar. Is that hard? Of course it is because the food industry is not in our favor. And then for the older kids, keep it to less than 24 grams of added sugar. No, that does not mean fruits. We're talking the sugars, the dextrose, sucralose, honey, maple syrup. I was going to say high fructose corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup, all those things. And, you know, sometimes they're like, what's coconut sugar? Yes, that's better, but that's still in your budget of less than 24 grams of added sugar. We budget our money. Why can't we budget our sugar is always the thing I'm like. It's just a budgeting. I'm not saying never have sugar. I'm just like, watch your sugar intake. It's Christmas, hot chocolate, cookies, desserts. I mean, and then it's like, we have all the viruses going around and everybody's like, why are we so sick? Let me tell you this, guys. When you go to a birthday party, you invite the same humans from the child's classroom, same boogery children, and you invite the same snotty kids from your neighborhood. And I mean this with the kindest, <laughs> most loving heart. But right, it's the same people. Right. So, because they're like, oh, the reason they get sick is because of the the snotty kids at the birthday party. I'm like, it's the same kids that you hang out with at school and in your neighborhood. But what's different in a birthday party? No, not Chuck E. Cheese. It is the juice boxes, the cupcakes, the candy, the endless amount of sugar that we use to celebrate our children's birthday. So when we add, and we know the medical data is very clear. 100 grams of added sugar in one go will decrease your immune system for up to five hours. A birthday party is a couple of hours and one slice of cakes, 100 grams of added sugar. Oh, I see. Okay. All righty. And then within 48 hours, 50% of the kids are full of snot. That's and they're like, it's Chuck E. Cheese. I'm like, it's not Chuck E. Cheese. That is crazy. <laughs> oh my goodness. And there's just so much sugar in everything at the parties, but then also at school and treats at church or wherever, you know what I mean? Everything yeah. they go to. And then they're like, oh, but it's, you know, it's kids. They should have fun. I'm like, I don't know. Recurrent ear, recurrent ear infections is not fun to me. Asthma is not, eczema is definitely not fun. So what is fun to you? You know, it's like, and I'll tell you, like my kids are now 20s, right? And, and three of your kids are oh, mm -hmm. like are, yep. 22, right? Yep. When they look back, none of my children go, you know what? my childhood would have been so much better if we just had more cookies. That is true. Childhood, right? When do you reminisce and go, oh, you know, that trip to, I don't know, the mountains would have been so much better if we could just had endless amounts of ice cream. That is so Nobody, true. They don't miss about that. So they're not. Anyway, so sugar. The other thing is more plant points. 
because we don't want to be a no culture. No, you can't. Uh, more plant points. We want to, and plant points are one strawberry is a point. A bowl of strawberries is still one point. One blueberry is a point. What? What am I saying? I'm saying plant variety. You don't have to be vegan. You don't have to be vegan. All I'm saying, just eat more plants. When you make breakfast and you make an oatmeal, which is of course going to be dairy free because you're dealing with snot and congestion, with the oatmeal, you're going to have, do I have blueberries, raspberries, maybe some bananas? You're like, oh, maybe a grape because all you need is one to increase the more plant variety the better the gut microbiome, the better the gut microbiome, the stronger the immune system because it's all connected, guys. It's all connected. You can't do one without the other. And plant points are super easy challenge for your children because they don't have to eat an entire thing of broccoli. Just have one bite of broccoli, baby, right there, one point for you. You know, oh, I tasted the parsley, boom, one point for you. The kids feel success. It's not scary. Now we're having introducing more plants to the microbiome. Now that probiotic you give it to them is actually doing something because if you eat, take a probiotic, vitamin D and a zinc, and you don't change your diet, you just have expensive poop and expensive pee. <laughs> that is great. I'm so glad you said that. I love your plant points. In fact, I share about plant points all the time because of you. And people always say, oh, thank you so much for this. And I always try to give you credit for it. But I'm like, it's something yeah. that, that Dr. Anna Maria Temple taught us because I tell my kids all the time, a minimum of 10 plant points a day is what I tell them. But you gave them a task, you gave them a goal, you gave them a focus. So it's not just like eat more vegetables. That's like annoying. You like, this is not what I expect you to do in a day. That's everyone can do it. Right. So I love that it's eat healthy. And like you said, the supplements aren't really going to do much if you're not eating healthy, if they're still eating frosted flakes and Oreos all day long. And besides that, I'm assuming the physical activity, the exercise and sleep play a huge role as well. Yeah. And no one can see, again, I'm pointing to on a podcast to something, but I have a giant piece of poop behind me. It's a giant poop pillow because you have to poop every day. If you don't poop every day, in addition to everything you just said, we know your system is not in balance and the immune system is not going to be working if we're not in balance, if we're not getting enough sleep, enough rest, outdoor activity, grounding, time in the sunshine, less screen time, I know, and we're working on our stress. I mean, could we talk anymore? I mean, we can have a whole podcast on how to decrease stress this time of the year, but anyway. We could, we definitely could. Well, thank you so much for being here. I know the parents have learned a ton from you. I know this episode will be heard over and over because parents just want little tips of what to do to help their kids feel better. And so do you have any last advice for these parents? Because you and I both know as parents, it's hard when our kids are sick. You have to take off work or make new arrangements. And then it's hard on your mama heart. And it's just hard being a mom with sick kids. So what final advice do you have to them? Guys, it's hard. It's just parenting is just hard. You know, but hard things are hard. It's beautiful, but it's hard. My advice is this. It all has to start with mindset. If you, and again, you do parenting your way. You are, you're not a bad parent if you choose this or that. But when you decide that you're not going to do antibiotics, you're going to use the alternative methods more religiously uh, with more care than if you go, well, I'm just going to give this a go, but I mean, we're just going to go get antibiotics anyway. So just careful of what your mindset is. The reason I changed my life is because of one day, it was one day in my life when I decided to do things differently. And that time is very different for each and every single one of us. And you're not a bad person for when that happens. But having the mindset that food is medicine, 
When you truly believe food is medicine, you're going to feed your children differently, even if they're picky, even if they're whiny, even if they're 2, 10, 12, I don't matter. Because you have decided that food is medicine and you want healthier children. And that day might be today for you. For some people, it's going to be 20 days from now, whatever. It's going to come. I love that. And I love the mindset because with mindset also goes the empowerment. Like you are empowered to make these choices on your own and help your child when sick. You don't have to go running to a doctor every single sniffle, sneeze, cough. We have tools as humans to, you know, use so that we don't have to go running to the doctor for every little thing. And so that though is also a mindset shift because for some people, they're just used to doing that, but you can be empowered at home to do things on your own. Well, thank you again so much for being here. Will you tell my listeners where they can find you and learn more from you? Yeah. So I like to hang out at Costco and Target and Walmart and the North Carolina version of where you're hanging out. <laughs> Too bad we're not in the same I place. I'm, I'm in <laughs> but, the Utah um, ones. I know. So I mean, so I'm there doing all the things to looking for, you know, buy this, not that, looking at ingredients with you guys, looking for food, supplements, alternatives to help you make healthier choices because knowing and doing are two different things. And um, all those are available on my Instagram platform at Dr. Anna Maria Temple. It's my, say my YouTube channel, same thing on TikTok because yeah, I'm just trying to uh, invade social media with all my shopping and ideas. You guys go follow her if you don't, you will learn so much and you're just such a fun follow love following you. And you know, from being here on this podcast that I always end the podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is this time? This time, because I have gone through a major meditation transformation, I'm going to say a grateful heart. Oh, I love that. So true. I feel like we can't truly be healthy when we are angry, frustrated, not grateful, with all those trapped emotions in us. So I love that you said that. You know, I walked in this morning after I did a walk in meditation, I walked into my house the sun was shining just so through my windows. I have my little Christmas decor and I just had to stop because I have a thousand things going on today, right? A million. And I just stopped and I was like, wait, could we just take a moment and be grateful for the warmth, all the stuff that is surrounding me right now, all the stuff, because we just, I go through life so fast and we just forget to pay attention to the little things. And then we get filled with more and more negativity. And speaking of the immune system, the more negative toxicity we have in our body, the less well-functioning our immune system is. So if you can fill your heart with gratitude, your immune system is going to work better and your children are going to be less sick. Oh, I love that so much especially this time of year, it's just busy. And so I love just taking a moment for the little things in life and being grateful for them. Thank you so much for being here today. Like I said earlier, I know the parents have learned a ton. And like I said earlier, also people go follow her because you will not regret it. You will learn so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Anna Maria. Thank you so much and happy holidays. This has been such a great uh, episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.